Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, everybody, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here with another Church Planner podcast, numero uh, nine, isn't it? Isn't that what we're up to? Nueve. Indeed. Nice. I dig it. We got a special guest on this one, too. Yeah, we got uh, Nigel Young from the UK. He is from Swansea. He was a part of the uh, Pillar Church Plant. He was actually, uh, I don't think he was our first convert, but he's definitely one of them. I think he was the third. Maybe maybe 2.5. We can't remember. <laughs> But anyways, Nigel's here. He was saved in the uh, early days of uh, the Pillar Church plant, the start out of a Starbucks in the UK. And uh, Nigel, good to have you with us. Nice to be here. All right. So, you know, we're going to talk today. Nigel's visiting from the UK, and and it's actually quite fitting that we have Nigel on here today because, uh, you know, we've been talking about the things that we can change, the things that we can control. Uh, the things that we can do better. In fact, one of the things that Pete and I want to do is have an episode where we talk about Christian marketing. Um, you know, everybody does a bit of marketing, whether they realize it or not. We want to reserve that for another episode. But uh, today we're going to talk about the stuff that even after you've done everything that you can, there is still a huge unknown uh, quantity in church planning. There's this huge part that you cannot uh, control. I mean, Paul said it this way in Corinthians. He said that I sowed, uh, Apollos watered, and another is reaping. And then Paul goes on to say, for God alone gives the increase. And then he goes on to say, therefore, he who sows and he who waters are nothing. And and, and so there's a, there's a sense in which when you're church planning, um, God has to turn up. I mean, he really has to be uh, God. God is the only one who can make a plant grow. I mean, I put seed. I just uh, sowed a bunch of zucchini and pumpkins and all kinds of weird stuff in my garden so I can eat it and feel organic. But the reality is I can't make any of that stuff grow. I can do a few simple things, but Paul understood from the very beginning that he couldn't do anything. And Nigel was one of those uh, uh, people whom God really uh, just, I wouldn't say showed me, but re-emphasized that he has to be God. So, uh, Nigel, why don't why don't you just tell a little bit of your story about how you came to faith? Well, I was uh, an atheist. I think it's uh, fair to say I was uh, very scientifically based in uh, in what I believed about the world and everything around me. And uh, I came to faith because uh, somebody crossed my path to come and clean my windows, which was uh, Peyton at the time when he was working as a yeah. window cleaner. Let um, me let me just interrupt for a second because. Um, it, Two years ago. I need I to tell for, that story, man. You tell that story. Go for it, man. <laughs> Two years Is ago, that, I say to Peyton, I go, hey, you really need to get some testimonials from some people that you've worked with. So that way, you know, you look like a legitimate church planner and you can actually, you know, 
have this claim to fame. So Peyton go I don't know what you dropped there, but hopefully it's I right. dropped my earbud. <laughs> so it was Pey- so shocking what you said. The earbud just popped out of my ear. So Peyton sends out to all these people, Hey, I need a testimonial. You know, can you say a few nice words about me? And then he shows me what I think is perhaps the best testimonial I've ever seen for Peyton. And it was from Nigel. It said, Peyton was the best window cleaner we ever had. <laughs> that still holds true. Yeah, you know, it, it was so funny because my church planning partner, I was working in the Starbucks at the time. And uh, when we actually decided um, everything was kicking off in the Starbucks and Nigel wasn't a part of that. Um, what happened was that, uh, the guy that I was planning with was a window cleaner. He said, man, look, you can, you can quit this job and you can make so much more money cleaning windows. Um, and then that'll free you up for the church. So I started working with him and he was right, man, two days working a week with that guy. And I was making killer money and, uh, Nigel was on my round. In fact, I was the the worst window cleaner, actually, when it came to selling. Nigel got an awesome deal. I went around the neighborhood, and I sold our window cleaning service so cheap. I came back and told my partner, I go, hey, man, I got us all these bids. And he just about pooped his pants. He was like, you sold it for how many? He's like, we're going to lose money. But anyways, uh, you know, we picked Nigel up, so it was worth it. So go on, man. Sorry we interrupted you. Well, it it turned out that my uh, my in laws, who uh, were long established uh, Christians, had been praying uh, for several years that someone would cross my path and uh, take me to Christ. And I got goosebumps now thinking about it because that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Lord fulfilled their prayer exactly. That Peyton crossed our path, knocked on our door, and we met him. And uh, I didn't. Uh, I want. Uh, all that impressed with the idea of going to church. My wife uh, was a lapsed Christian and she really wanted to go. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. So we, we knew it was a new church. So it was, I, it was all a new experience to me. And we went to this church, which turned out to be, uh, as far as I was concerned, it was really cool. We sat in the, uh, sat with the congregation. There was a very small congregation and uh, listened to the music and the worship songs is pretty good. It was very intimate and family based and, we sat there. I don't think there was more than about 20 people altogether. In, uh, and Peyton started preaching and was awesome, I have to say. Awesome. And we felt that the things he was saying were directly about our lives. And I thought, that is really, really weird. How can he know about that? We didn't tell him anything about what was going on <laughs> in our lives at that point. And it was as if he was speaking to the two of us. And, and uh, we were. I went away thinking, that's very weird. Not thinking... That's God. Just thinking, that's very weird. But I was determined <laughs> to go the next week and see if it was just a fluke. And uh, a couple of weeks, we kept going. And a couple of weeks later, we, we were in, the, in the, the building and the service was going on. And I had this very, very weird uh, feeling overcome me. Uh, hair was standing on the back of my neck. And Alex, one of the guys in the congregation, just said out loud, God's in the house. And I nearly freaked. Because it was that I suddenly realized that was what it was. And uh, by then I've been talking to, to Peyton and he'd, uh, he'd introduced me to John uh, in the Bible and said, what do you think? And I said, I think it's an eyewitness account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and that was what really did it to me when I realized that Jesus had a real mother. And uh, the wedding at Cana was, was like a momentous thing for me when I realized he, he, he did the miracle as a favor to his mom. And, uh, with the realization that Christ was a real man as well as being God, that I was saved. <laughs> that was it. That was a done deal. Yeah, I, you know, I remember that because I remember you saying, um, I came to Nigel's door one night and uh, he opened the door with this huge smile, gave me this big hug and said, Hey, brother. <laughs> and he, he had just been saved, you know, just him and God. And, uh, and I said, Dude, what happened? And he goes, I believe. And I go, well, how'd you turn the corner, man? And he goes, Jesus had a mum. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I was kind of like, well, what, like, what do you mean? He's like, it's true. He goes, it's an eyewitness account. I mean, Jesus isn't going to do this miracle, but it's his mum. So he's kind of like, yeah, you know, I got I kind of got to do this one. I got to break protocol here. It's not my time, but 
you know, she is my mom. And he's like, that, that's real. That really happened. Like, I just know from reading that, that, that he had a, he was a real dude. He existed. This really happened. And Nigel was a very, you know, you're, you're, you got a scientific mind. I mean, you, you had to see evidence. Oh yeah. I've still got a scientific mind. I mean, the Louis Giglio uh, broadcast that he did about the size of the uh, different suns and the stars in the universe absolutely blew me away, especially the end part of it where he, yeah. he ties it all together. I thought that was huge, and uh, I loved that. And that sort of tied in. And the conversations you and I had about the bits I was having difficulty with in, in the Bible sort of brought that together for me as well. You know, it's funny because um, one one of the best things about Nigel's testimony is that he thought I was kind of weird when he first met me. That's that's my favorite part because, you know, I, I think I'm think cool. Weird. <laughs> I, I know. Still I was going to say weird. the same thing. I think you're still weird. Absolutely. Well, you know, that's that's the thing. Paul says, hey, if I'm if I'm if I'm out of my head, man, if I'm, I'm a fool for Christ, you know, it's 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 for him. But, you know, it's so funny because, um, you know, I. I was working, like I said, with my partner. He was worried we were losing money, and I kept stopping and talking to our customer uh, customers. And the fact is, you get paid like literally by the minute. Your time is money when you're window cleaning. You only make as much money uh, as as the number of windows you can clean in an hour. You get paid by the window. That's how you break down a house. And uh, so my my uh, church planning partner would, he would get furious. He'd be like, dude, we're not, uh, we're not here to, uh, to evangelize. We're here to clean windows, man. This is, this is how I pay my bills. And there's this real tension, but I would feel the Holy spirit kind of tugging on me. And what's crazy about this is the guy's name was Yan. Um, he's also an evangelist. I mean, he was one of the best evangelists I've ever met. Um, but you know, he really wanted to pay his bills, but there was just something <laughs> you really want to pay his bills. <laughs> <laughs> but there was just something when I went to that house, you know, where I just felt the Lord um, moving on my heart that I should talk to him. I had no idea that uh, they were connected with um, full-on Christians and didn't know uh, the background at all, didn't know anything about him, just knew the spirit was opening up conversation. And uh, tell me about the parking lot, because because this this is actually inserts zero. <laughs> Uh, and I use it as kind of like, hey, sometimes when you're doing this stuff, um, you have no control over this. There's no way I could have engineered this. And I think for church planners, you have to be aware that God is going to do things supernaturally. There's going to be coinkidings, kind of like John Wesley said. Someone once asked him, do you believe in coincidence uh, or providence? And he said, coincidence? Yeah, I believe in coincidence. But let me tell you something. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. <laughs> so, you know, we were praying our butts off, man, that the Lord would, would do whatever he wanted in the, in the community. So, Nigel, I'm going to hand over to you and ask you uh, kind of, uh, I, think, I think it was our second conversation we had had at your house. And I can remember standing by your side door out in the backyard and we were chatting and then I took off. Um, and then uh, we bumped into each other next week. We were handing out our letterbox drops which is like you throw them through people's mail slots. And my wife had had the idea, hey, let's uh, go to the supermarket and put them on people's cars. And I said, oh, no, baby, you can't do that. You know, not only are we like, you know, being annoying, but like, you know, we're probably going to get punched in the head. This is whales, man. Like, you know, people just punch you. And uh, <laughs> so as I know from experience, uh, I got beaten uh, put down in the street by a rugby player when I first got there. That was a, a, a real eye-opener. But anyway, so, uh, you know, I'm putting this stuff on on people's cars, and I'm paranoid because I finally give in and go, okay, let's do it again. One of those things where you just feel like, I don't want to do this, but um, this seems right. You know, let's do it. So there we are. We're putting leaflets under people's uh, windshield wipers, and boom, up walks Nigel. And so I'm going to let Nigel take it from here. Okay, so I'm going to the shops. Uh, to the supermarket, and I left my wife and, and kids in the car. And uh, Jay, my wife, sat with the window wound down. And I, I come back from the shop, and there's this dude leaning in through the window <laughs> with a leaflet in his hand. And the first thing I think is, oh, no, somebody's trying to sell us something. And uh, it's pretty easy to sell my wife stuff, so I wasn't too impressed. <laughs> so she, she, he's leaning in through the window. And I'm thinking, who's this now leaning in through the car window? Trying to sell my wife stuff, and uh, I wasn't kissing her. No, no, I wasn't. Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he straightens up and looks at me, and I said, 
Peyton, it's our window cleaner. What are you doing leaning through my window? What are you doing here? And Peyton said, oh, I'm, I'm also a pastor. So I said, oh, right. And we're setting up a new church. And has me a leaflet and says, uh, why don't you come? So uh, I thought at this point, of course, I, I was thinking, no, I don't, want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go to any church. But of course, because uh, it was Peyton and uh, we really liked him from the get-go. And uh, uh, my wife wanted to go, and it wasn't very too difficult to persuade me to go, but I thought I'd just sit there and it'd be interesting. But uh, actually, it was the beginning of the biggest thing that ever changed my life. So, <laughs> but What what was funny, too, is I remember Nigel laughing, because Nigel's always had a great sense of humor, and he started laughing, and he said, there must be a God. There must <laughs> be a God. And, you know, here's Mr. Atheist saying this with a smile on his face, because he's saying, that's weird. We were just talking about you. Like, like just talking literally as we were pulling into Tesco, which is a supermarket, fresh and easy to, to, to our American crowd. But he, uh, oh, here comes my train. Hold on. I've missed the train. Oh, uh, me too. Didn't have that in Minnesota, man. <laughs> did you hear my dogs a couple minutes ago? They're I did. Here. I did. You know, I feel like I'm home. <laughs> uh, for all of our listeners, uh, Joey and Barry, uh, <laughs> we have two now. Um, we can finally go plural. Yay! Listeners, we don't edit this, as you can tell. So, you know, this is the real deal. And, uh, you know, you don't edit church planning. You don't edit ministry. It is what it is. But here's the deal. Um, what was funny is, you know, he had just been talking about the possibility of going. And that, that was where it came. Well, he's kind of weird. We're not sure. <laughs> but they had been talking about it. And that was kind of like the extra confirmation that, hey, that was weird, huh? We're talking about, boom, he turns up at our car you know, handing out invitations to this church plan. And uh, so that was it, man. And and I remember you guys didn't make it that week, but you made it the second week. I remember something. I don't, I don't know if you even remember this, but um, you know, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, you know, it was, um, it was the first time in ministry where I just let go of everything. And I was like, God, you got to do it. You know, boom. If you want this church plant to take off, you do it. And, uh, and I, and I have to say in some ways I put forth very little effort. Um, but the reality is, um, uh, I remember Nigel kind of saying to me at one point, we had our, uh, first spiritual conversation after he came to the church. There's a, a number of weeks he came. He said, John the Baptist, he intrigues me. I, I, I really like mm-hmm. him. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah. What it was and what it was that, that kind of jumped out at you about John the Baptist? I think it was it's just his humanity really that that was the thing and he was really driven and and so humble as well when it came to Christ when uh, when Christ came to him to be baptized that really that really spoke to me I just thought wow this guy's just stepping aside even though the Lord's got him to do this fantastic ministry you know he he didn't hesitate to step aside when he recognized Christ coming along the path and uh, that that just blew me away really. And that's what it was. Yeah, and I remember being really touched by that. You know, it just made me kind of stop and look at John the Baptist, and I thought, wow, here's a guy. He's not even a believer, but but the humility of John the Baptist, a guy who said it's not about me. You know, um, that that really had spoken to your heart. Yeah. Uh, I found that personally very powerful. So, um, what was your uh, what was your take? You know, as far as once you came in, what you know, we we sat around coffee tables because we had started originally out of a Starbucks, um, and and so here we were in the launch. What was your impression um, sitting around these coffee tables having discussion? How did how did that as a non-believer? How did that hit you? Did it hit you as weird, kind of threatening? Was it disarming? Was it, uh, gosh, you know, I, I, I you know, it's intriguing. Well, I, I had very little experience of of, uh, of church altogether, so for me, it instantly became normal because <laughs> I, I thought that's what modern churches were. I mean, I, my experience, previous experience of churches would be attending um, formal uh, Church of England churches for services for funerals and weddings and baptisms and that kind of stuff, which had always been totally unimpressive. I mean, the idea of being told when to stand up, when to sit down, and having a book in front of you tells you exactly what the priest's going to say and what you have to say back to him. I could never understand what on earth that had to do with God, because <laughs> where was God in all that? It was just written on a page for you. So I, I didn't understand how we were supposed to connect with God if there was a God through that kind of ritual. So to come to uh, Pillar as it was forming, where everything was very informal and you were encouraged to ask questions, no matter how dumb, uh, about the Bible and about the 
the sermon that you've just heard and uh, with worship that was played by people who worship music and, and singing that involved people who you'd only just met and, and you talked to and they weren't remote from you in, in, in the least way. They were people who were fast becoming your friends. It was just a, a wonderful uh, experience actually and and like I say when you had those very clear moments of realizing that God actually was in the house with you that was literally awesome and uh, couldn't wait to go the next week and and uh, really our friends that we made in the church are, are still our friends now though we, we go to a different church now but um, we we still maintain those friendships and relationships with those people because we were in a way formed together mm. and uh, came to God together. And that's something that you'll never forget. And, and people that I was actually baptized with <laughs> uh, will, will be my brothers and sisters forever. And, the uh, coldest <laughs> baptism I've ever had <laughs> in a river. <laughs> my, okay. My suggestion. <laughs> okay. So Nigel, right? Brand new Christian. People were getting baptized. We're baptizing people. We're borrowing other churches that have baptismals. You know, the floor rolls away a little bit. And you dunk him in there. Nigel goes, hey, you know John the Baptist? You know, I really connect with him. Can I get baptized in a river? And being from California and having never been in a Welsh river, think summertime, no problem. Sure, we'll baptize you. Oh, my gosh. It was so stinking cold, but we did it, didn't we? We, we baptized did. a number of people uh, in the river. Stupidest, <laughs> stupidest thing I ever did. But everybody was smiling. My gosh, the spirit of God was just there in power. These guys were coming out of the water, man, crying and just smiling and beaming. And I just tell you, man, there's it's just nothing like reaching completely unchurched people and watching them just completely turn their life around. And that that's what we're in this for. I mean, you know, uh, there's just nothing like it. Well, the bluer you and Jeff got, the more we grinned. Did you notice that? <laughs> no, I didn't. I was too too cold to notice anything other than how cold I was. But uh, but you know that that's the cool thing. And 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 so I mean, there's just all these things that you cannot control. And while I got Nigel here, I mean, I I just want to remember uh, a dear friend of ours who's uh, with the Lord now. Um, we. Uh, uh, her, her name was Carol and, uh, she came to faith. We've, we've been talking about Carol this week a little bit. Um, Carol came to faith, uh, because two friends of hers, uh, who worked with her, two coworkers, um, decided to visit her when she was terminally ill. She was in hospice with terminal cancer and they, they, they were always kind of afraid of her, uh, when they worked with her because Carol was a bit of a fiery woman. She was a businesswoman. Uh, she worked, she sold uh, cakes, which if you know anything about Britain, that's a very important job. She sold cakes to uh, pretty much the whole of Wales. And, um, uh, but she was from the north and the north of England, uh, if you don't know anything about the UK, um, they tend to be a very down to earth, uh, very earthy people, very colorful. Um, they're a bit like the Irish, um, a bit like the Scottish. They, they just are rough, raw and ready. And um, that was Carol. Uh, she could uh, tell you stories that would make the wallpaper peel off your wall. And she would come to church, and she she had no idea what was appropriate or inappropriate. And she was a brand new convert, and uh, she was just um, she was so fun to watch. Um, she just came, and she knew nothing. She wasn't PC, completely out of the world. A few cuss words would come out of her mouth occasionally, and um, she would. Uh, like I said, she would tell, she would make sexually inappropriate comments, and um, but but the you know she would tell us how Muslims and and everyone else is going to heaven, and tell us we're all wrong, but she had had a legitimate encounter with the Holy Spirit. I mean, she had really uh, been saved, and again, it was one of those things that you could not control. Um, Carol, when she was in hospice, had these two women, and they're from a Pentecostal background. Um, but like I said, they were kind of afraid of her. Well, now she was on her deathbed and they figured, well, there's, there's not really anything she can do to us. So let's go and tell her the gospel. And they did, they went in, they shared the gospel with her and they said, can we pray for you? And she said, yes, which shocked them. Um, but she wasn't happy. You know, she wasn't happy with them. She was touched by the fact that they came and shared with her, um, you know, and prayed for her. And they did, they prayed for her to be healed and they left. 
the next morning she woke up and she heard a voice in her hospital bed say to her, take up your mat and walk. And she said, I felt immediately different. And they did tests on me that morning and the tests, my everything, my blood tests, everything came back as normal. And the doctor followed up with me and said, um, do you believe in miracles? And she said, no, <laughs> which she did in her North Country accent. And uh, he said, well, you, you, you've had one. Um, whether you believe in them or not, you've had them. And they discharged her to home. And she was home. Uh, it was, um, I can't remember the day now. I can't remember if it was that day or the next couple days. But she was laying on her sofa. And uh, she said, I don't know who you are. He, she, it. Show me what you want from me. So here she is asking God, show yourself to me. Within five minutes, a letterbox drop comes through her front door, through the mail slot on her door. And she goes and picks it up. And it's an invitation to our church. And it's literally about 300 feet from her front door. There's a community center in her neighborhood. And that's where it was launching. And she said that all the hackles went up on her neck and she knew it was God. So this, again, is a supernatural thing none of us could control. You see, what we had done is on that Sunday where we had passed out the letterbox drop for Nigel, um, Jeff, who was my uh, co-leader, uh, co-planner, Jeff had said, look, I can't make it on that day. But if you give me a stack of them, I will pass it out to my own neighborhood, which happened to be Carol's neighborhood. And he said, but there's 300 and something houses, so I'll have to do it probably on three separate days. Jeff was in the 60s. And uh, sure enough, he did. And we don't know which of these three days it was, but it was the week before we launched. And this, this postcard, this letterbox drop, was put through her mailbox within five minutes of her praying that prayer. Hmm. And you cannot control these things. These are the things where you – it's kind of like Holy Spirit or bus. Either you turn up, Lord – or kind of like Moses said, either you go with us or I don't want to go, right? Um, but now, Lord, show me your glory. That was Moses' prayer. I think that for a lot of us church planners, we have to get to that point where that's where we're at. Lord, I don't want to do this. I, I have no vested interest in doing this at all unless you turn up and you go before us. And so what had happened was Carol comes that first Sunday, and she is um, scared already. You know, it, I think we forget sometimes uh, that the holiness of God and the presence of God often in the scripture is met by fear. Uh, we always want to be welcoming. We want to be relaxing. But um, these these people uh, encountered God in a way just like in the scripture where uh, the first thing the angel says or Jesus says is don't be afraid. Because when you're encountering God, you need him to say that. And so Carol comes in that first Sunday, and we're launching. And I'm going to go through the Gospel of John, which Nigel just talked about. But that first week, I really felt on my heart that I should preach uh, John chapter 10, Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And, uh, you know, I make the point when I was preaching to say, here's a very profound truth. Uh, John chapter 10, if you remember only one thing, remember this, John chapter 10 comes after John chapter 9. And everyone laughed, and then I explained John chapter 9. A guy had just been healed from his blindness, and the Pharisees came and asked him, who healed you? He said, I don't know. I didn't see him. He told me to go wash in the pool. I washed. When I opened my eyes, he was gone. So I don't know who healed me, but it must have been from God. Well, now, understanding Carol's backstory, imagine she's sitting there. She's hearing me say very prophetically, like what Nigel just said, who healed you? I don't know. That's Carol's thing. I don't know, but it must have been God. And then I preach where Jesus follows on from that and says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. And he used that specifically. That, that, that is, that's why I say it's a profound truth, because people will quote that and not realize it was connected to the man who was born blind, who couldn't see Jesus, but could only hear him. Mm. And so when Jesus says, look, all these others, the, the, the religious people, um, wanted to, you know, he says they, they came to steal, to kill, to destroy. Uh, and, and Jesus goes on to say, I'm not like that. All the others are thieves and robbers. They want to take from you. Religious people want to take from you. So I'm preaching the sermon saying, hey, I don't know what your background is with, with church, with religion, 
but often they just want your money. They want something from you. They want you to build their empire. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I care about you. And you hear my sheep will hear my voice. She's looking at me on that uh, Sunday morning and she looks furious at me. I mean, I'm just thinking, man, I'm really pissing that chick off. (laughs) And uh, turns out, you know, you can often misread people's uh, facial expressions. When we when we finished, by the way, during the last song, she got up and stormed out. Tears run down her face. And even the group leader, a guy named James, said, oh, I, I think you really offended that lady. And, and I said, yeah, I noticed her. You know, we're talking. Anyways, um, she didn't come the next week. But the week after, she invited two of her Christian friends, the two that prayed for her, to come back. I heard Carol's story through their mouth. Uh, before church started. And they said, she invited us back because she was too afraid to come by herself again. Hmm. But she knows God is here and she wants to come. And we've tried to tell her what's going on. We've tried to explain to her what's happening to her, what the Lord's doing in her life. And she's going to come back. We just said they walked the dog and they said, we're out here kind of as a ruse walking the dog because we got to tell you her story. And so I'm standing outside. I'm just blown away. I'm just like, all right, Lord, um, I'll buy some popcorn and sit back and watch a show because it looks like you know what you're doing here. You were doing stuff that I have no control over. And that is what, you know, for you as a church planner, as you're embarking, that's why prayer is extremely important. You know, in the book of Acts, you see prayer and action coupled together. And the Lord's really been laying on my heart that prayer without action um, leads to nothing. If you're just praying, but you know, you're praying for your church plant, but you're not going out and doing stuff. I mean, we're talking about we had to be active, right? We had to go out and do our letterbox drops. Um, but we were praying our butts off at the same time, and God was answering that. So prayer without action equals nothing, no result. But equally, action without prayer equals nothing. Um, when you look at Acts, you see this two-pronged approach where these guys, they're active but they're also in prayer. Acts chapter one um, and Acts chapter two, they're out preaching in public, but they're in the upper room praying in private. And um, and that was surely our experience. There was stuff we could control and stuff we could do, but then quickly God started telling us, guys, um, you need me. He who sows and he who waters is nothing. God alone gives the increase. Hmm. Hey, Nigel, I got a, a quick question for you. Um, what, you know, I never having been to the UK, I don't, you know, fully understand the, the culture by any means. And we've heard from Peyton how in the UK, less than 1% of the population attends church. What is the, what would you say is the general feeling of people towards the whole idea and topic of God and church, um, just as a, as a, you know, a cultural reference point, what would you say, you know, most people think about when they think about God or church or any of that, um, in, in the culture over there? I, I would say that they don't, um, think about it. It's an irrelevance for most people. They don't, they don't realize that God exists. They don't ever think, they don't ever think about it. Um, Sadly, I, I, I really think that, that that's the case. And, and they live their lives as if God didn't exist. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge, huge area of untapped potential for salvation because people have, have left uh, the church and it's got to the extent now where unless something happens on the news about it or uh, they meet somebody on the street or they see something that's relevant to it, then it's, it's just not relevant to their lives in any way, shape or form. And I, I think, tragically, I think that's the situation. But, it, but on the other hand, as I say, it's a, it's a huge potential because, you know, it's, it's an untapped, <laughs> uh, huge resource of people who, who really, really need God. Right. And see, we've got, you know, large pockets of that in the U.S. I mean, the U.S. has been known as a, a Christian nation and more than anything today, that's just more like lip service. You know, once upon a time, it was a Christian nation, uh, especially here in California, where where we're at. Um, 
LA, Orange County, San Diego County. It's, it's very materialistic. It's very into your own life, how you live. Truth is relative. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious because we've got so many pockets like that. Uh, you know, Peyton will tell you right where we're, our church plant is now in, in downtown Long Beach. Uh, it's very, um, there are a lot of people who, God is irrelevant to them. It's it's never yeah. been a conversation that they've had. So what I'm really curious about is what does evangelism look like in the UK? Because I'm sure there are direct correlations that you know that we can swipe some ideas and, and utilize in our communities where it's that same type of atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. It's um I think it's worth bearing in mind how small uh, the United Kingdom is compared to the United States. So um, the situation that you've got in California probably relates to most of Britain <laughs> in, yeah. in, in terms of how many people are unsaved and, or you know, unchurched. And if you ask the population of Britain, most, um, most white people would probably say that they were Christians, but I think they think of it more as an ethnic uh, description rather than yeah. uh, a religious one. Yeah, um, it, it more has to do with um, you know when you get married or when you die, what what building do you go to? Yeah, that, that's about <laughs> right. And and then of course a huge number of people would choose to have their children christened uh, when they're babies and and never go to church at any other time. Which yeah, is, you know once you become a Christian, you realize how bizarre that is. But. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's huge potential for evangelism on the street, and, and Peyton's uh, been to uh, Britain with with people who've evangelized on the street incredibly successfully. Just just crossed the street and started talking to young people, mm. and, and the, the people who attend church of any description in Wales, uh, I would think the demographic is probably over sixty for uh, for if you were to average it out. Hmm. So churches get smaller and smaller as as the people who attend church uh, die. And uh, there are very few young people uh, going to church because uh, they're not introduced to it by their parents from the baby boom era who, who didn't go to church either. So it's There's, their parents, if any, that, that actually went. Yeah, here here it's kind of like, um, you know, you tell someone you're a Christian and they look at you kind of like, oh, you're one of those. Um, in Britain, they look at you with almost disbelief that you could be that stupid. <laughs> Um, in other words, it's almost like telling someone in Britain that you believe in a flat earth and, and, and it's so not a part of their psyche that just to illustrate when, um, in America, I I would say that in Britain, they have no God consciousness Mm -hmm. in America, even though we're not religious anymore, um, you know, we're becoming increasingly secular. There's still a residual God consciousness, um, that people have. Uh, within them, um, to the point where if Mel Gibson comes out with a movie called The Passion of the Christ, um, the theaters are packed and everybody gets excited and says, wow, you know, people are flocking to a movie about Jesus. I went and saw The Passion of the Christ in Britain. There were two other people in the stinking theater, and that was on a Friday night. Um, there was just, there was no buzz over it. People just didn't care. There was all the things that people say, oh, you know, it's big over here right now. Boom, boom, boom. You know, um, it, you know, it, it just didn't, it, it had no, no effect there. I mean, we really needed the Holy Spirit um, just simply because there is not a God consciousness. The Holy Spirit has to turn up and create that God consciousness. And we watch it happen supernaturally time and time again. Um, I, I, I remember Aaron, remember, were you there the night that Aaron was saved? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, here we, we have this, this kid that um, he's suicidal and uh, he's in college and his teacher says, hey, for whatever reason, she'd never been to us, but she said, hey, you know, I heard about this church and uh, you should go there. And so she took him, um, one of his professors. She was a Christian. And so they go that first uh, morning and she, um, uh, or sorry, no, I got that wrong. She didn't take him. She put him onto another Christian who was coming to her home group. And so he comes to the home group. Sorry, this, this other student brings him to the home group. That night he turns up and, uh, 
and he's totally trying to pick up on this other chick out in the hallway who uh, wants to get baptized, Sue. And uh, Sue, I'm talking to her about all about what baptism is, and he's like Mr. Pickup Artist, you know, in his own mind. So he comes up and says, hey, uh, you know, I, I'd like to get baptized too. And he's just trying to weasel into the conversation and get close to her. And, um, and so I said, well, you know, um, what it would mean and what it would look like if you got baptized is you, your life would be so changed by what Jesus did for you that you say, for example, wouldn't try to get this chick into bed. And he went, oh, <laughs> he turned all kinds of like shades of red and went, oh, uh, I, oh, uh, uh, uh. And it was like, cat got his tongue. And I thought, right, we'll never see that dude again. And so we go and start the meeting, you know, and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's kind of quiet, you know, and just sits through the meeting. The next week he comes back. And I am totally shocked. Like, what in the heck? You you know, I for sure thought I scared you off, you know. And uh, I don't know his backstory yet. And so as we get ready to start the meeting, you have to understand, like, I'm, I'm a little bit kind of crass as a leader at times and just kind of smirking the whole time I'm doing ministry. And so what happened was uh, he starts off and goes, hey, uh, I would just like to say that uh, uh, I came last week and I liked it. And um, I'm here in a very thick Welsh accent. He says, but uh, I'm here today and um, I feel God-like and, and I like it a lot. And I said, neat. And I just kept going on with, you know, okay, well, let's pray. Boom, boom, boom. Just totally boom. Didn't even, you know, it's like all the stuff you're not supposed to do. And uh, anyways, we kept rolling on with the meeting. And um, as we're, we're praying, we go into prayer because we take communion prayer at our home, our home group. All of a sudden, like, I'm feeling like God is really moving right now. And he's really moving in this room. And he really wants to do something. And I'm sensing that God is dealing with Aaron. Well, of course, Jeff, my, my co-leader, is very prophetic. He just cuts across the prayer time and goes, Aaron, the Lord wants you to give your life to him. He wants to save you. And, I, and I'm thinking in my head, well, that's not quite the way. I, I, I maybe would have dealt with that. All of a sudden, Aaron, just under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, just starts weeping and crying. And he just breaks down. And then he just starts praying to God, like out loud. Guy's never been to church in his life. Just starts saying, God, forgive me. I am so dirty. Forgive me of what I've done. Forgive me of my sin. And I'm thinking, what in the heck? <laughs> What's just happening here? And then you got saved. And that kid brought so many other kids. And I'm saying, like, I'm old now. I'm 40. Brought so many college uh, kids to Christ. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it was like a chain reaction. His baptism, another kid got saved. At that kid's baptism, more people got saved. And it was just, again, it was out of control. It was just chain reaction of the Holy Spirit just doing whatever in the heck he wanted. Aaron became a real prayer warrior, you know. Yeah, he, he came to uh, our prayer team to support us on our street pastor ministry and, and uh, on the streets of Swansea. And he, he, he didn't come out on the streets with us, but he decided that he wanted to help out by being part of the prayer team. And uh, his prayers were, he, he, were naive and, and incredibly powerful. That's the first time he ever came. He, mm. We were doing prayer before we went out. And he said, Lord, I want you to uh, answer prayers from the team when they're on the street. And I want you to do it immediately. And I thought, well, that's a bit of a tall order. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do stuff then and there. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a, you know, that's a bit... Uh, you hasn't got to be real. <laughs> that night on the street, I kid you not, um, we would be see a fight developing or somebody would be extremely distressed or we'd be waiting for the uh, paramedics to turn up and we'd be thinking, oh, I hope the ambulance gets here soon. And we'd just call back to base and, and tell Aaron the other prayer, um, pastors to what was going on and Aaron would pray about it and within seconds, I'm not joking, within seconds fights would disperse, people would uh, would start listening to what we were saying and calm down, ambulance crews would turn up. It was it was really weird. We went back and said to, to Aaron, 
I don't know what you're doing, Aaron, but you keep doing it because it really, really works. I've never I, seen anybody such a powerful print. I think I think we need to to kind of back up here because Pete asked a question earlier about evangelism. What does it look like? And you know, I was actually part of the committee. Um, There's a handful of us that uh, we heard about this ministry called Street Pastors, and Nigel's now very involved in that. In fact, the uh, uh, the guy who's now heading that ministry in Swansea was part of our core team um, in Pillar. And, uh, and and so I was very involved at the beginning um, in, in getting this brought over because I don't think people understand um, this is like a front line. This is as front line as it gets this ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Street Pastors, and it's based around the binge drinking culture that exists in the UK that, that Americans have no clue about. When they talk about, oh, we got problems with alcohol. Um, Britain is flooded. The, the, the city streets are flooded every, usually every Friday and Saturday. And then if you've got a university down, it could be Wednesday and Thursday too, um, with, uh, people just binge drinking, fighting, um, rape, uh, to the point where in our streets, uh, in Swansea and Port Talbot, where I first started off, they had to close the streets off every Friday, Saturday night. And the police would always come out in riot gear. Because when you get a bunch of Welsh, Irish, or Scottish loaded up with alcohol, they just want to fight and have sex and sing. And so that was, singing's all right. <laughs> singing's all right, but you know, um, so so you know, I I would try to explain. There was a, a blog I posted um, on the New Breed website uh, early in the year that was very controversial because people did. I had to put there was a Polish photojournalist who. Um, uh, put these pictures up, documented this in Wales. And, and until these pictures were uh, kind of nationally known, people just had no clue, like how bad it gets. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to hand over to Nigel. Nigel, you want to talk about that and kind of tell them like what it is uh, that happens on the weekends and what is the need for street pastors and what do they do? Okay, well, I'll try, try and do it uh, as shortly as I can. I mean, street pastor movement started in, uh, in London. Uh, because of uh, this uh, youth culture of uh, getting drunk as possible as quickly as possible. Uh, that's what a lot of uh, majority, I would say, of British youth now grows up thinking is normal and is uh, defined as fun. Um, so um, it started in London because a couple of pastors in, in a church in, um, in London decided there was a need to get out on the street and actually do something practical. Um, that the police weren't, weren't doing and that the uh, emergency services weren't doing, which was to, to help people. But it, it's not primarily um, to go out and evangelize uh, by talking to people about God on the street. That's that's not something you're allowed to do um, uh, as far as the street pastor movement is concerned. But we take uh, St. Francis's Creed, which is to preach the gospel every day and if necessary, use words. So. When we go out on the street with these young people in, in Swansea, it's uh, when you get out on the street, it's like the back and like the Roman bacchanalia. That that everybody's drunk. Uh, the girls are extremely scantily dressed. The guys are all being as macho as possible. So you get people fighting, people falling down and injuring themselves. You get girls being stalked and groped and uh, sexually assaulted and and uh, just being in a state that they don't know what day it is or how they're going to get home and crying. They've lost their friends and their mobile phone and they've been uh, robbed. Um, it's just uh, like a bacchanalian orgy gone bad, basically. Um, and we are now part of what's called, uh, in our town, in our city, it's called the uh, nighttime economy. When we first went out on the streets as as a group of Christians across many denominations, lots and lots of churches of different denominations in Swansea uh, have got people on the streets who are street pastors. So you get on a once you've been done your training, which is uh, twelve weeks of training, um, and you got your uniform and you get accepted, then you go out onto the streets uh, in a team, always in a team, and you have a leader and between three and five other people and uh, we're very very well trained as to what we're trying to do on the streets and we offer practical help to people who are on the streets our our main credo is to get people at the end of the night to go home safely so we start at 10 o'clock at night and can usually sometimes finish at four o'clock in the morning that's our cut off time 
when we first went out, the police were extremely uh, sceptical. They just thought we'd be another bunch of do-gooders who'd actually need looking after. <laughs> but now, uh, we've seen by the Chief Constable in Swansea, he's an essential part of the nighttime economy yeah. and a huge help to the police because we do the stuff that the police haven't got time to do. Dealing with crying girls who've lost their friends and patching people up with first aid while they wait for the ambulance crew to come or instead so, of the ambulance come. Yeah, so come. for example, like they've got like a stock of... Um, uh, flip-flops because these girls in these high heels get really drunk you know they break a high heel or they just take their shoes off because they're drunk and they hit mean, meanwhile they, they they stagger outside where people are just throwing bottles and they're slicing their feet up or they can see a girl who's being um you know starting to be sexually assaulted or stalked and they get her a cap and they make sure that she gets home safely um, when she's actually very vulnerable and probably going to be raped. So there's a lot of things that, that happen like that. And what tends to happen is conversations like they, can, they just don't go out preaching. But conversations just, always open yeah. up. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge opportunity for being a street pastor. And even though we we don't go out and openly evangelize, you know, we're not shouting, behold, the end is nigh, repent, or, you know, that kind of stuff. But we're a presence on the street, and we're clearly marked as street pastors. We have hats with street pastors on, so the CCTV can always see us. And, they they uh, actually look like SWAT team. We do. Um, they've like got that. like the the, the baseball like caps and the jacket, and it yeah. big dark blue with bright letters, and it's pretty yeah. cool actually. And the, we constantly, and I, I would say constantly, we go out once a month. Your team is rotated out once a month, and where our our duty is on a Saturday, which is a really busy night, and. Literally, constantly, people come up to us and say, what is a street pastor? Well, that's a, just a great opening. You say, well, pastors is, is shepherd. That's what it is. And we're Christians, and we come up, we volunteer to come on the street. And, and no matter how drunk they are, they usually pick up on those two words. And the two words they pick up are on our volunteer and Christian. So they very often say, which church are you from? And of course, our team's from a lot of different denominations. So I was, well, I'm, I'm from X church. And somebody else said, well, I'm from Y church. And generally, they, they look at us amazed. And they say, you do this for nothing? And we say, yeah, we do it because it's what Jesus would do if he was here. And we're doing this for you because we love you and Jesus loves you. And, and as long as they keep asking us questions, we'll keep the conversation going. Hmm. And uh, my buddy, who's, who's the coordinator, and that's actually the leader of the team that I'm currently on, uh, Andy, uh, he was kneeling in the street sweeping up broken glass, uh, which is something we do quite a lot. And uh, these two guys came staggering along the pavement drunk, and, uh, and his mate sort of said something like derogatory. I can't remember what it was. And, and the other guy said, said to him, you shut up. He said, I don't hear that. He said, these are really, really good people. Because some weeks previously, he'd spoken to another team and said, well, the street passes, and they'd explain what we were. So he said to his buddy, you just shut up. I don't hear that. He said, these are really good people. And he came over to Andy, and I, we were quite choked. We relating this story. He came over to Andy, and he bent over by him, and he said, you, you didn't ought to be doing that, you know. He said, you didn't ought to be doing that for scum like us. <laughs> and that was a really, really moving thing to happen, you know. So we said to him, you know, you're not scum. God loves you just as much as he loves us. And the guy was like blown away. And that, and that kind of thing happens all the time. And we get where people come up to us. And we've had, I've had people come up to me in the street and just come out of a bar straight across the street up to me and say, will you pray for me? Hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff does happen occasionally. You get hmm. that. But there are loads of opportunities. Sometimes there's, a, there's, a, there's a, what we call a zebra crossing. I don't know what you call that. Uh, a crosswalk. A crosswalk in the middle of Wine Street, which is the main bar club area in Swansea. And the police hang around there quite a lot. And we'll just stand by the crosswalk and in our uniform and wait. And uh, for some reason, gay guys... Uh, tend to to come up to me. I don't know. I don't know what it is about me. I know. I, why. I'm like a gay person back then. <laughs> they just come up to me, and and usually they say something like, uh, "You wouldn't help us because we're gay, or you wouldn't have us in our church," which is a great opportunity to to start evangelizing, <laughs> and it's just brilliant. I, I, I love your answer. You were telling me a story the other day about the gay guy who came up to you a couple of weeks ago, and he goes, "You wouldn't have me in your church," and you gave a brilliant response to that. I can't remember what it was. No, what was that? <laughs> oh, I don't know what I said to him. I said, yeah, you uh, come to our church. Be good. We, lo we love you. Uh, God loves you as much as you. That's what me. it was. Yeah, he, he said, God loves you as much as, as, he, much as he loves me. And the guy was just, as the British would say, he was gobsmacked, which means he was speechless. He didn't know. What you know, just had, was just shocked and stunned 
That is the gospel. And so these guys are out there. They're, they are literally embodying the gospel. They're doing what Jesus did when he said, hey, I've done this for you. I've washed your feet, so you do this for one another. And the greatest among you will become your servant. And they're literally taking up the basin and towel every Friday night for people who are drunk. Uh, you know, they're they're pugilists, they're um, rapists, they are drunkards, and they're hitting the streets and loving these people. Um, it's a father forgive them. They know not what they do type of deal. And uh, many of the people in street pastors were on those streets, you know, just a few years ago you know, doing the exact same thing. And so it's not a ministry of judgment. It's a ministry of, Hey, I've not come to judge world. I've come to, to save the world. And, um, and it's just an embodiment of Jesus. I mean, something happened uh, a couple of months ago on the street, which I, I don't think I'll ever forget, which is I, I got talking to a young man on the street who, who told me that he'd been, uh, going to a church and it was a fairly modern church. It wasn't a, a traditional church in Wales church either. And uh, this young man had a couple of piercings and lots of tattoos. And uh, he'd gone to the church and, and he said, to, and I said, you go in now? And he said, oh, no, no, I have to stop going. And I said, why? He said that one of the, uh, one of the leaders of the, of the church, uh, one of the youth leaders had told him that, the, that uh, because he had all these tattoos that he was going to go to hell. Hmm. And, and because he, he had no way of removing all these <laughs> tattoos, he said, no point in me going to church because uh, I can't remove these tattoos and therefore I'm going to go to hell. And there's nothing I can do about it. And this guy had had a few drinks, but he wasn't actually drunk. And, and he, he came up to talk to my team, which was really, really fortunate because we were able to spend five minutes sitting on the wall outside the bar with him and say to him, that is complete and utter rubbish. And don't go to that church again, but you can find another one. Almost any church in Swansea <laughs> will give you a, a better, more grounded, more biblical, honest, sensible response than that. That is the stupidest thing I ever heard in my entire life. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'd use the, the story of the thief on the cross next to Christ. You know, he was saved just because he said, you know, one thing to Christ, would you pray, you know, look out for me when I get there. And, uh, I said, you, you know, if he can get saved with a, a one <laughs> sentence, I'm sure that your tattoos are not going to stop you getting into heaven, boy. And, uh, and I was so, so blessed that I met that guy that night because the thought of him going through the rest of his life thinking he was going to hell just because he'd had these tattoos done was just really unbearable. <laughs> yeah. So. D divine appointments. That's really what we've been yeah. talking about yeah. today is divine appointments. You know, that's, uh, that's what you have to look forward to is you get out on the front line. Um, if you think you're going to change the world behind the desk or you're going to sit in an office and expand the kingdom of God, good luck with that. But the reality is you get out there, you ask the Holy Spirit to turn up. He will meet you. Frontline yeah. is where the power of God comes. We say this all the time. It's It's been the greatest revelation to me of ministry um, is it. Every time you step out in faith, the Holy Spirit turns up and does something. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what we've been talking about today. Uh, our guest has been Nigel Young of uh, Swansea, Wales, UK, the center of the earth, center of the universe, in fact. <laughs> and um, we are, uh, we've been really blessed to have you, Nigel. Thank you so much for coming and uh, flying all the way from Wales just to be on our podcast. Um, even though Barry, other listener, actually lives in, uh, in Wales, we got to get an American audience, Pete. <laughs> you know, actually, I was looking at our stats, and we do have a really big international audience. You know, really big yeah. by, you know, five people. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But you the, didn't tell me about the other three. I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the same It's the same person, just a different, you know, iPhone, <laughs> iPad. It's a, it's a different device. Oh, yeah. And one other thing uh, real quickly about Church Planner Magazine. We've actually got a, a sponsor right now who's uh, got a limited number of subscriptions for Church Planner Magazine, and they are paying for them through the end of the year. So all you've got to do if you want to get one of these uh, subscriptions paid for for you through the end of the year is download Church Planner Magazine either on the iPad or on your iPhone, and a little pop-up will come up saying uh, who's sponsoring it. 
and you just click the yellow subscribe button and it's free to you. Don't need your credit card, don't need your iTunes, don't need, well, you might need your iTunes just to download it, but that's not because you're getting charged. That's just a, an Apple thing. So anyway, hope that you go ahead and do that and get the free Church Planner magazine. Right on. Well, hey, you've been listening to Church Planner Podcast. We appreciate you taking the time and listening. And uh, Frontline, Divine Appointments, God bless. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music.